Hi, and welcome back to Unsighted, the internet's least reliable English lit podcast. I'm Chantel. And I'm Amy. And I have a peer review. You're not even going to say hello to me or to them. You're just going <laughs> to go right off into our peer review. What is this, a journal? And thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to be talking about something that I am going to bring up later, and I have a peer review. Okay. Cool. So this peer review is from Dawn. Well, hello, Dawn. So Dawn brought up an excellent point for another potential plot twist that could have been in Macbeth. Okay. So Macbeth, as we know, cannot be killed of any man by woman born. And we thought of multiple good plot twists. But Dawn also said most people until the 1990s were born by male doctors. Oh. And it was considered lower class to be born with the assistance of a woman. Hmm. So it could have been any upper class person who killed Macbeth and it would have worked. And then we wonder why so many women died in childbirth. Yeah, honestly, we have the people like Mary Shelley's delivery doctor and Ugh. Victor Frankenstein. Gross. Don, thank you for bringing us back to the past. It was uh, it was good. Thank you for letting us relive our first episodes. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that um, like the tide is turning to like people in privilege are now the ones who can afford to have like a midwife or a doula and they're mostly women. Yeah, I think there's also like a lot of issues with like midwifery in that there's not enough spaces in midwife colleges for everyone who wants to be a midwife to become a midwife. Like the midwifery college in BC gets over like 250 applications a year and then you have a class of 20. Huh. And there's four colleges of midwifery in Canada and like one is francophone only. Wow, that's not very much. So there's like a total of maybe 80 new midwives a year coming into Canada. That's not enough. Not enough. That's why they're so expensive. And now it's a privilege to have a midwife. So if only the people in Shakespeare's time could have looked forward into the future and seen what was to come, they would have felt silly. But you know who can look forward into the future? The time traveler from H.G. Wells's The Time Machine. That was a great segue, Chantel. Thank you. Thank you so much. Just put me in Silicon Valley because I sure know how to ride a Segway. Jesus fucking H Christ. <laughs> I'm putting a stop to this episode. I had a beautiful summary that I summarized for readers and you just, you robbed them of it. Amy's just quitting this episode and the podcast in general. Yeah, I'm done with the podcast industry. Uh, guys, we had a really good run, but this is it. This is our very last episode of Unsighted. Catch me next week with a rebrand and a new co-host. <laughs> Your partner's just like, I never wanted to be a part of this. <laughs> but yeah, we're doing HG Wells. Which is, I believe, essentially the birth of time travel science fiction. Yes. So there was time travel before, and I'm directly lifting this from the Overdue podcast, so thank you. Apparently, there were time travel stories that were like someone would turn a clock forward and it was like magic time travel. But not science time travel. Yeah, exactly. So this is the one that introduced like sci-fi time travel and introduced the concept of a time machine. And that's pretty much how time travel has worked since then in sci-fi like there's a machine that you build and then you travel in time and time here in this hg wells tale is very important it's seen as like the fourth dimension right and that if you can move through all other dimensions you can also move through time and that's the time traveler's entire premise <laughs> good to know also that the time machine is said as like a, a frame story so we have both a narrator and a protagonist. Here we will have the narrator and the time traveler, who in my notes I refer to as TT. So if you hear that, you'll know who you're talking about.
talking about. Yeah, because he doesn't have a name. He just says I. Yeah. So the time traveler is recounting his story of time traveling to a bunch of people, like his friends, the people in his village. He's kind of the kooky, weird guy. Wonder why. <laughs> Our narrator is kind of like the only person who's giving him the time of day and like actually taking him seriously. But that's fine. So essentially, the time traveler has like a party at his house and he shows people this small time machine and he makes it go forward, right? He explained the whole concept of moving through time and like you just have to go fast. Essentially, his premise is that if you can Sonic the Hedgehog time, you can move through it. Oh, you just go fast. No. <laughs> okay. So anyways, the time traveler <laughs> believes that if you go fast enough, you can go through time. Well, yeah, but of course, if you go through time faster than one second per second, you're time traveling. I'm not saying that this guy is super smart. All I'm saying is that he's pointing out the obvious here. Okay. Our narrator here classifies the time traveler as a bit of an unreliable narrator. Um, So keep that what, what you will. So the time traveler proves that time can kind of happen with a small machine. And people are like, eh, no. And he's like, fine, come back tomorrow. And they come back and he's like, I have this big machine, right? Essentially what happens is he shows a small time machine and then he shows a bigger time machine. And to show his bigger time machine, he's like, I just came back from the future. It's like back to the future, but very different. You mean back to the past? Yeah. The time traveler starts his journey in his time machine. And to go forward, he has these two levers that he can push forward or push backwards. And forwards goes forwards backwards goes backwards very very scientific principles <laughs> he speeds through time you know he sees buildings going by and blah 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 and he's like oh shit man what happens if like i stop the machine and then suddenly i'm like you know encased in concrete because there's concrete here because so the machine is stationary as it moves through time it can only move through one dimension only through one dimension at a time at a time yes <laughs> i mean would it make a really good movie montage essentially so he's speeding through time he's panicking the fuck out and then suddenly, because, you know, he doesn't have any seatbelt, as he, like, stops the machine because he's like, I need to stop at some point, he essentially gets flung out of the machine. Okay, so here's my problem with this actual scene with the time travel. By the way, apparently it did make a really good movie montage and they it was like one of the first uses of time-lapse photography in film. Wow. So here's my issue. So he's like, oh, it's going so fast. It's going over a year a minute. Yeah. And then he's like, and then it went faster. But he doesn't say how much faster it went. He still says that he's seeing like the change of the night and day. Yeah. Impossible. Because unless it was going exponentially faster and everything he saw was literally just a blur even if he was going a thousand years per minute it still would have taken him more than 13 hours to go as far as he did in the future yeah i disagree he was not there for 13 hours well, okay. So here's how I presumed it happened. You know when you're driving on the highway? Yeah. And you have your foot on the gas. And you're like, I'm going 100. This is in kilometers for our American friends. Bear with me. And you're like, I'm going 100. And then like, you're kind of like, you know, you're driving on, an, pardon me, autopilot. And then you kind of just like, you speed up without wanting to speed up. And then you're going 120 at one point, you know? No, I don't because I'm very anxious on the highway. And I always go like 97 and then everyone gets mad at me. Okay. So every 
everybody else <laughs> understands this concept of, wow, I am not going the right speed limit. And then you bring yourself back down and you put yourself on cruise. However, I think that's what happened to him. He kind of like, he was holding the lever and as things were progressing, he kind of just like pushed farther on the lever and things started going faster. Mm, okay. He says like buildings are just going up and down and up and down and up and down around him kind of thing, right? Right. So I think that like it does get exponentially faster. Okay, I guess. I don't think he'd be able to see anything, but I'll trust your judgment here. Well, he gets really disoriented. Like he stops it because he's starting to feel queasy. Okay, I'll allow it. So because he doesn't have a seatbelt, he gets thrown out from the time machine. Although that's dumb because he really should have put a seatbelt in his time machine. It was 1895. They didn't even have seatbelts in cars. He could have been avant-garde. What do you think he was doing? Developing advanced technology or something? Yes. Um, He's smart enough though to remove the levers. Like he takes the like controls with him because he survives the crash, right? Um, He removes the levers, carries them with him because he's like, I don't know if there's anybody around here. And he doesn't want people like traveling through time. So like he's a dumbass, but he's also pretty smart. Yeah, like if his time machine was gone, he'd be stuck there forever and ever. Yeah, and it would make a longer book. And honestly, like this book is uh, 116 pages. Doesn't need to be any longer. No, it does not. And I respect that, um, especially for a time when everything was so long. Books were too long. I love a good concise read. I love a good book where the author doesn't care if they're being paid by the word. They're going to say as much as they need to say and then they're going to stop. Yeah, stories deserve to be contained within their time frames. So he meets these frail humanoid creatures. He describes them as people having tuberculosis. Like they look like they just survived tuberculosis, which is not a good look. Tuberculosis is also called consumption. Right. Because it consumes you. So they are like emaciated. He also describes them as kind of white and furry. And do you know how I pictured them? Please do. Do you know that meme with the little lemur stuffed animal that's going, (laughs) what is this? What is that? With his hands in the air? That's exactly what I pictured for the Eloys. Yes. He meets these creatures and they don't seem too bright, which is probably why they're like, what is this? <laughs> what is that? They don't seem too bright to him and they seem really primitive, which is not a word that I like condone, but like essentially he says that like they've regressed, right? From peak human time, which is what he thinks they're going to achieve. They shower him with flowers and with gifts and stuff because they're like, man, like who are you, right? Yeah, they're like, oh, look, an alien just came to visit us in his spaceship or whatever. Yeah, and then like they think he comes from the thunder because he lands in a fucking hailstorm <laughs> because of climate change. Yeah. And like he says there's no gender, no old people in this community and like everybody's kind of like doing this communal living thing, which to him is really confusing. And obviously he doesn't speak their languages because after like, you know, 800,000 years or whatever, language change. Yeah, I don't know why he thought he would be able to speak their language or like even remotely understand anyone he was like oh i'm gonna go to the future and talk to the people and see what's up no a thousand years ago english was old english and it was an entirely different language like look at beowulf and tell me that that's comprehensible to you if you don't already speak old english or german the only language that hasn't really changed to my knowledge in recent yeah is french because they have like a whole academy dedicated to not changing the language and dictating how it needs to be said i think the official 
official name of that academy is the Stick Up Their Butt Academy. Yeah, you know, I'll allow it. (laughs) So essentially, you know, he sees all of these people and they're all doing this communal living. And for some freaking reason, he thinks it's a communist paradise. He thinks this is the peak communism and great. I mean, it does seem kind of nice. Like they're just walking around chilling, eating fruit. Like, yeah, that seems nice. He seems kind of a little judgy about it, but it's like, if you have everything you want, would you not just hang around and eat fruit? Hang around and eat fruit. Can we get that on a t-shirt? Yeah. Okay. So he thinks that like, there's no fear. There's no hardship, you know, despite landing in a hailstorm. He thinks it's an easy life and that this easy life has made them frail. He says that like, you know, a life without danger means that there's no need for family. So, you know, communism strives, which very skewed view of how family structure work in communism but beside the point essentially he's like this is like a utopic paradise you know yeah it's almost like he doesn't know what communism is he knows what capitalism is and like what the capitalist structure of a nuclear family is meant to do and he's like what's the opposite of that probably communism yeah he's like "Mm, there's no family i guess it's just a communism Nice. Yeah. So again, not the sharpest tool in the shed. So after like, you know, he's musing around, it's talking to people he doesn't understand. He tries to go back to his machine because he's like, I've had enough of these lemur-like people and his machine's gone. Like it's gone. The doctor's gone. Whoa, but he has the knobs. So where could it have gone? Great question. He's like, oh, well, it it can't be the Eloy because, you know, they're weak. So there has to be something else. He's so rude. I know. So he spots a pale creature and angrily berates the Eloy about everything. He's like, what's going on? Tell me where my machine is. And they're all like, beep, boop, beep, boop. You know? They're making that lemur face from the meme. <laughs> making that lemur face from the meme. <laughs> so he tries to open the sphinx. There's this big sphinx at the opening of where he landed. Not an actual sphinx, the statue of a sphinx. Yes. <laughs> Not trying to open a sphinx. He's trying to open a statue of a sphinx. Um, again, he fails and the Eloys are like really mad at him. They're like, stop trying to fucking open the sphinx. It's a bad idea. It's nighttime. Come back inside. But you know, in their language. Yeah. Essentially, you know, he gives up because he's like, it's not going to work. And he's kind of scared and he befriends the Eloy. But like also like as he's doing all of this, he's noticing some weird vents in the floor. Like there seems it seems to be like sucking in air, which, Mm -hmm. you know, to our like climate change is happening brains. It's like, oh, I guess we needed to retrograde the atmosphere because we killed it. I don't know if that's a scientific term, retrograde the atmosphere. Is that retrofit? Is it retrofit? I don't know. I'm an English major. But I think retrograde is the thing that Mercury is in. If it's going to help climate change, (laughs) they can do whatever the fuck they want. <laughs> so you know he sees these vents and he's like where the hell is this air going to so he thinks because of these vents that like people have like you know automated their life oh, but yeah. he's getting kind of like confused because like in his time they're like we're trying to make everything better you know like the steam industrial revolution thing it's all happening right so he's like we're automating all the world you know and he thinks that they've reached this peak thing but then he realizes there's no factories or anything right so he's starting to like understand kind of like maybe the Eloy aren't the ones making the world go around kind of thing mm-hmm. so he starts to see that like there might be like different societies here at play he saves an eloy named weena 
from drowning. Wena's, I think, the only one who has a name. She is the only one who's got a name. And she's also the one who's got like a little kid crush on him. Yeah. Like, you know how little kids get crushes on adults and then they just kind of follow them around. (laughs) Yeah. He describes her as being affectionate and precocious. Yeah. So that's fun. So he saves her from drowning and they kind of become friends, right? She's like showering him in petals of flowers. So they find this old ruin and there he sees what he calls is a white ape like creature who seems to live in the walls and underground and it really scares the bejesus out of him. He imagines these creatures as a laborer of society you know and then this makes him think about the divide of society in his time because you know they're trying to do like the upstairs downstairs thing right? Yes. Yes. So we have the Eloy in the upstairs and the Morlocks in the downstairs. Yeah they're downstairs chambers. The butlers of earth. The butlers of earth. Yeah so in his time like he goes underneath the ruin and he's he's a scientist right he's a curious kind of lad and he learns that the morlocks are afraid of fire and they most likely eat the eloys which would explain why there's no old people okay so at this point he figures out that basically like the eloy and the morlock are divided evolutions of humanity but the eloy are descended from the upper class and the morlock are descended from the lower class because the lower class toils in factories and underground apparently according to H.G. Wells and then upper class people just kind of sit around and eat grapes you know yeah but here's the thing how would he know you know like we didn't say how far he went in the future but he is in the year 802,701 he went 800,000 years in the future literally it could have been like all of humans died out and then were replaced by something completely different but no he's just decided this is the way okay you like yeah I get what you're saying but the man also invented time travel so we're gonna give him a little bit of credit here uh i guess (laughs) i'm trying to think of dumb things that he's done but i think it's just that i think he's dumb fair yeah so essentially you know they start eating the eloys most likely the old ones because there's no more old people in the upstairs society they're taking eat the rich way too literally (laughs) yes they are literally eating the rich the uh, aversion to cannibalism seems to have died off so we're heading on the right path oh my god Uh, he recognizes that the Morlocks have control over the Eloys, um, and that the power structure that he thinks that he's understood with the upstairs downstairs is actually kind of like reverting itself. Right. Because the Eloy have let all of their world being controlled by the downstairs Morlocks. Yeah, because they're kind of helpless, right? They're fucking helpless. They're the dumb evolution of humans. Yeah, it's like, you know, take a rich person and remove their nanny and they can't raise their kids. Yeah, like the reason that he did have to save Weena is because she fell into the river and she couldn't swim and then all the other Eloy were just kind of standing around like, well, I guess she's dead now. Oh, look, there's water there. It's wet. <laughs> yeah, so Weena and him go on an adventure to this place called the Palace of Green Porcelain, which is made out of green porcelain. And on this trip, she gives him flowers, which he then shows to like the people at his little party that he's hosting you know he's like i have these flowers this is proof that i've been you know as a 
He couldn't have just picked weird flowers from anywhere. Yeah, because no one was discovering weird species of plants in 1895. We didn't have a whole new world that was being explored by white people or anything. Yeah, it's not like colonialism was still happening and they were still going to different islands. But he has these flowers. He shows them to people. He gives them to our narrator. That's important. So the palace is actually an old museum. He grabs like a bunch of fire making tools. So he grabs like some camphor, some matches, you know, stuff. He and Weena get attacked by some Morlocks. He starts a forest fire, which currently, you know, bad times. I mean, he does start it on purpose to get rid of the Morlocks. He does. But also, bad times. And during the, like, the chaos and everything, Weena goes missing in action. And that's really sad. Yeah. So she's definitely gotten eaten. Yeah. Or burnt. Oh. I don't know which one of those is better. Cooked and eaten. Yeah. She's a bit of a damsel. So as he's about to be attacked, he sees a sphinx, the doors open, he runs in, and then then some Morlocks start to like, you know, attack him and he puts the levers in and goes forward through time. Um, So, you know. Why he doesn't go back, uh, scientific curiosity. Well, see, again, I'm going to go back to the car. So when you're, you have your Prindle thing, you know, <laughs> you, <laughs> yes. you youth know what I'm talking about, your gear shift. Yes. Drive is all the way at the bottom, right? From the mm. from the parking. So my understanding of this is that he just like went with the most familiar full crank that he could have gone. So going forward is a lot more like intuitive than going backwards, right? I guess like pushing it away from you, which is the only thing he's done so far as opposed to pulling it toward you. Okay, I can see that. Yeah. He goes to the future. He sees a bunch of stuff like he did before, the sun and whatever. Then the sun starts getting really big and like orange and like things aren't going well. He sees these like giant crabs. He keeps going forward forward everything's died he sees a weird tentacle monster essentially the earth is dying the solar system is dying yeah mercury's in retrograde <laughs> okay so first of all yeah how does he know where to stop it because when he does stop it it's like the last hours of earth he's like yeah earth's gonna be gone in a few hours and apparently it's gonna get eaten by the sun because it's like wrong science and the sun is getting bigger instead of just dimming and dying so like like if he had pressed on the lever for one second more, he would be exploded in the sun and there would be no no story but he sees it right he sees the stuff going on around him so i think rtt our time traveler knows enough about you know his surroundings that he knows when things are going poorly i guess like he knew that he needed to stop the machine and like he knew again that he needed to stop the machine i think he just has intuition like time traveling intuition he's got really good breaking reflexes correct either that or the time machine has like those auto brake sensors oh yeah Collision warning. <laughs> no, that totally makes sense. That seems like a piece of technology that they would have thought of at this time. So Yeah, they didn't have seatbelts, but man, they have advanced collision warning. <laughs> yeah, you got to have the collision warnings to make up for the lack of seatbelts. Exactly. Secondly, I love that everything is crabs and algae. Yep. So very much a reverting to like the beginning. They are, but also like evolution keeps making crabs so much that it's become a meme that evolution has made crabs so many ways. Yeah. There's only like one true crab though, which is wild. <laughs> It is a wild crab. Yeah. Also, algae makes up the most biodiversity on Earth. Yeah. So it's fun that the algae's just chilling and doing what it does best. Algae is the real MVP. There's some leechin just chilling around. Yeah. Leichen? Leichen or leechin? I actually don't know how to pronounce that word. In French, it's leechine. Lichen. So. I think it's leichin, but it might not be. Okay. And then lastly, he seems like sad. Yeah. That the world is ending. Yeah. But it's like billions of years in the future. Like if it's 
on track with what has actually been estimated. The sun's going to die in 5.5 billion years. And he's like, oh, the Earth's dying. And it's like, can you imagine going into the future and seeing some descendant of humanity 800,000 years from now and being like, oh, this is the wrong evolution that I wanted. And then going like several billion years in the future and be like, oh, the sun is exploding the Earth that still has life on it. It's like, that is such a hopeful end for the Earth that people keep going and life on Earth keeps going for that long and then the end of the Earth is the sun exploding. Okay, as somebody who has like a big fear of entropy, (laughs) I get why he's sad. But like where he was the first time he stopped in 800,000 something, Yeah, that would have been more than 26,000 generations of humanity. And he's like, aw, people went the wrong way. And it's like, you have no connection to them though. They're 26,000 generations away. Yeah, but I can imagine like Neanderthals probably would have like, if they could time travel, see us and see our reliance on like billionaires and probably be like, why aren't you like more doing communal living? Like what happened to just chilling with the people you love? Aw. You know? Yeah. Okay. I guess. Yeah. A better example would probably be Homo erectus because not all humans on earth are descended from Neanderthals. That's true, but I'm 4% a Neanderthal and I'm going to roll with it. (laughs) But the point here is even like my like ancestors from 200 years ago like they'd probably be like one disappointed that there's no flying horses for one (laughs) and two they'll be like what do you mean you're living with your partner and you're not married and you're 25 years old and you don't have six kids french canadian it's a fun time but also like you know they probably would have been like why are you living so far away from your family like what happened you know i guess but like i'm guessing around that time they also were moving to canada from france oh no they were here they had been here for at least 200 years yeah so it was like people did leave it's like it's not that alien yeah to think of the way like i'm sure i'm sure it would be i'm sure they would freak out if they actually came to the future and saw what was going on right now they'd see my ankles and be like what (laughs) uh amy's got pins in all her ankles all three of them (laughs) but it's like so different that i don't like i don't really get why he's sad it's like yeah humanity changed in eight hundred thousand years Like, I started writing a book that was set 100 years in the future, and I had to stop, and I had to be like, this is really unrealistic to be 100 years in the future, and it's not a climate crisis emergency, (laughs) and everyone's not talking about that. Like, I need to go back, I need to start over, and I need to set it in an alternate present. Yeah. Like, they were so much more hopeful about the future 120 years ago when this was written. Yeah, well, like, they could only go up from there, right? The Great War hadn't happened yet. So, like, all the things that have created the cynicism within, like, Western humanity, I think, wasn't really there yet. Like, okay, yeah, there was feudalism, you know, serfdom. Things were not going well for poor people. Don't get me wrong. But there was, like, more hope than not for people who had money. Whereas right now, I think with the climate emergency we're currently having and, you know, the other historic events we're living through, I think that billionaires are... It's not that they have more hope than we do. It's just they think they're going to be able to buy their way out. Yeah. Yeah, I know you're right. Whereas before, there was hope. It wasn't a buy your way out. It was just like, we're going to be fine. We don't need to change anything. Yeah. Especially for H.G. Wells because of his political views. He was actually thinking of like ways to come up with his version of a utopia which is very problematic and we'll talk about it later yeah so anyways our time traveler comes back you know he tells his story like we're back in the present time with our narrator and he points at a time machine is like look there's like there's dirt 
from my travels on the time machine, you know? So he has flowers and he has dirt. So our narrator goes on like the next day to see the time traveler, you know, just to check up on him, talk to him, see how things are going for him. And our time traveler is like, I'm going on another adventure. I have to go back to the future. Nice. Back to the future. Yeah. Um, but he says like, don't worry. Like, I'll be back in like 30 minutes. So cut to the narrator talking to his readers. And he's like, he said he was going to be back in 30 minutes, but it's already been three years. Oh my gosh. And all I have are these flowers. Oh man. Yeah. That's The Time Traveler by H.G. Wells. I have some feedback from people about it. Hit me with the feedback. On Instagram, Megan said, very sci-fi, much socioeconomic commentary. It is much socioeconomic commentary. Kristen tells us, I love this book. I think it's interesting to consider how many time travel narratives view the future as being considerably worse than the present and believe in some sort of eventual and inevitable apocalypse. What was strange to me upon my first reading of the book was that it seems to have an underlying narrative that supports vegetarianism or veganism because it turns out that the upper world humans are being farmed for meat and that's obviously presented as heinous. But then the time traveler goes home and the first thing he does is eat a bunch of meat. So there was never really any animal rights message, just an anti-cannibalism someone which i think is really funny so thank you kirsten for that feedback out of the people who have responded to our poll 80 percent have said that they like hg wells time machine and 20 percent have said that no they did not like hg wells time machine i can see that breakdown like it's a good book i stuck with it i was entertained it's a good enough book it's a fine book <laughs> it's a fine book i'm sure it was very innovative for its time yeah and i like i read it as like the one of the first books in my time travel class which i really enjoyed shout out to zach who says that he likes it when i name drop the fact that i had a time travel class yep yeah i think it was just it was a good introduction it was a quick read for like a hot september night and i think the frame story here as opposed to frankenstein actually builds on the mystery and doesn't make it more complicated yeah i agree the frame story works much better here yeah because you don't really know what's going on with the time traveler yeah he's kind of a mystery and i kind of enjoy it yeah can we talk about hg well structuring of the class commentary. Well, actually, I have the quote here on page 59. Can I read parts of this? Because I think it's useful. I don't know if we're going to talk about the same thing, but yes, please do. Okay. So in the end, above ground, you have the haves, capital H, pursuing pleasure and comforts and beauty. And below the ground, you have the have-nots, the workers getting continuously adapted to the conditions of their labor. Once they were there, they would no doubt have to pay rent and not a little of it for the ventilation of their caverns. And if they refused, they would starve or be suffocated for arrears. Such of them were as so constituted as to be miserable and rebellious would die. And in the end, the balance being permanent, the survivors would become as well adapted to the conditions of underground life and as happy in their ways as the upper world people were to theirs. And that's what he thinks happened. That's what he thinks happened. And he posits it as what objectively happened. Yeah. Even though it's 800,000 years and he has no way of knowing. And it just aligns with his class opinions today. Yeah. So let's break this down. So the lower slash working class are like literally lower. Like they live below the ground. And they have nots. Yes, the have nots. And like he's trying to take the lower class to its logical extreme of evolution because evolution just goes like the way that you're already basically going. Yeah, evolution has inertia. And he thinks the logical extreme of the working class for some reason is barbaric murderers. Why? I think part of it is so you know how we were talking about we have like factory workers and that's not really fun and like you know we have the industrial revolution and things aren't going well well i think 
H.G. Wells might have been able to see that these living conditions weren't great and this might have been a way for him to be like hey get used to it and adapt oh or at least that's what i think the novel posits okay that's an interesting theory amy okay so the (laughs) upper class are like literally upper they're literally above the ground they're just hanging out taken to its logical extreme he thinks they would be simplistic hedonists only living for pleasure and unable to care for themselves you know kind of like the one percent now yeah he's not wrong about that one nope and it's not complimentary to either of the classes but it's less complimentary to the lower class Yeah, I think, you know, there's like, oh, you're rich. You won't be able to self-sustain yourself because you're going to be so rich that you've never learned to do anything. Yeah. On the other hand, you're so poor that you're going to get used to what you've got and you're going to degenerate into something monstrous. Yeah, like freaking Gollum with the ring. Yeah. So would you believe that H.G. Wells was a socialist? I, perhaps. Okay, so Overdue Podcast, again, pointed this out to me and pointed me in this direction. So they don't listen to this, but thank you. So I think the book is positing that the economy has to change because it's not working. But I think that it's positing the economy has to change for the sake of the upper class or the lower class is going to eat the rich, Mm. which is kind of what's happening. And the lower class is like, hey, we should eat the rich, you know? Yeah. As you were talking, though, I think back to the fact that he goes back to the future. And I'm wondering if he's not trying to find the spot where things went wrong. Like if we posit the fact that like H.G. Wells is a socialist. What if he presents a time traveler as somebody who can fix what's going to happen? And you know how he was super sad at the end of the world? What if he's trying to stop it? Um, I don't think he can stop the sun. Okay, not the sun, but the bad things that happen to humanity. Maybe. I kind of think he's just going and finding a place that he likes and just staying there forever because he sees that there was development and he's a scientist and there's probably a lot of science going on. And he's like, yeah, these are my people. He's like, wow, I can have a podcast? Let's move to like 2021. (laughs) Oh, no, you don't want to move here. So I was looking up his political beliefs and what he believed in was a form of a non-Marxist socialism. So he wanted equality of opportunity not equity of outcomes which is kind of what people think we have today Mm. except that they're not factoring in history and intergenerational privilege and wealth yeah so that's fun he wanted a world government that would avoid class war and also war between nations so basically he was like a conflict avoider and he was against nazis or he said he was against nazis right and he said he didn't believe in eugenics but he did believe that people should be in interracial couples as much as they could in the future to like have kids together that would kind of even out all of the races and the qualities he thought were associated with races for some reason, I guess cultures. Right. And for some reason, he thought everyone would just even out to whiteness because whiteness is like the neutral, obviously. It's not just one of a bunch of cultures and races. Mm -hmm. And then anyone who couldn't assimilate should not continue having children, which is called eugenics. Like, hey, H.G. Wells, that's eugenics. Like an intersectional eugenics that ends up on white. It's like playing blackjack, but only like bending on red. Like, I don't know how he was saying he hated Nazis when he was a Nazi. Like, what are you, what, what are you doing? (laughs) Well, maybe he didn't hate, you know, Jewish people. No, he did hate Jewish people. He actively hated Jewish people one of the most. 
H.G. Wells, you had so much fucking potential. And then you went and fucked it up. Like hearing H.G. Wells is a socialist who wrote about time travel is kind of hearing about like the initial plot of Twilight and then reading Twilight. Like it had potential, but it only brings sadness and disappointment. See, I think it's more like Harry Potter. Oh. Like reading the time machine. Great. Love it. And then you delve deeper into H.G. Wells and you're like, let's remove the author from the book. Yeah, they are they are bad. Bad times. Yeah, Unsighted Podcast says trans rights. We are the inclusive and we try to be inclusive as much as we can. Yeah. That's it for me, y'all. But first, the History of American Food podcast recommends a map of time. Map of time? The map of time? I actually didn't write a prefix, so there might not be one. Not a prefix. <laughs> I didn't write a... What's it called? Determinant. I didn't write a determinant, so there might not be one. Apparently, it is a really good kind of spoof of The Time Machine by Felix J. Palma. It is translated from a language. I could not find what the language was, but it might be Portuguese. Okay. Based on me looking at the words. Okay. But that could also be wrong, like the pronunciation <laughs> of Leichen. Yeah. So... <laughs> Check it out. Cool. Amy, yep. what would you rate this book on a scale of the meme where golems crouch down with the ring, yep. making the weird big eyes face, yep. to the meme of the fuzzy lemur with his hands in the air? Um, You know that fox one where the, fo- the taxidermied fox is sitting on the chair? Yeah. Oh, no. I would rate it that. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking. Which in my books is like an eight. Oh my god, that's not a, is that a taxidermied fox? I thought it was the fox puppet from that movie about the foxes, the Fantastic Mr. Fox. Is it not a puppet? No, I think it's a taxidermied fox. No. What do you think the lemur is? I thought it was a stuffed animal. I don't know. Not like an animal that's been stuffed, but like someone made a stuffed animal. (laughs) Whoops. Like a doll. Nope. No. Why is everything taxidermy? Stop it. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. Like I said before. I really enjoyed the read. I think it was a lot of fun. I think it does have uh, much socioeconomic stuff that we like barely scratched the surface with. So if you're looking into like, you know, slightly eugenically based socialism. Also, there's like a random racist passage right smack in the middle of it. Yeah. Super racist. Yeah, that would do it. Did not like. No, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Good times. Yeah, I liked reading it. I got to that one passage and I was like, what is happening? I didn't really love the like class reading. I was like, you have no idea what you're talking about. What is your scientific reasoning for thinking this? Are you an anthropologist? Are you a paleontologist? No. No, he's just a guy. You're just a guy who made a time machine. But yeah, like it was it was a good time. It's a good foundation of a genre that I really love. Time travel is one of my favorite subgenres of sci-fi and sci-fi is my favorite genre in general. So I'm into yeah, it. Good. Do you want to sing us out, Amy? Yes. Do you want to sing our outro song? Our outro song? You know, our outro song we do every week. Doopy 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 doopy. That one? Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, so we thank you guys for uh, joining us this week. You can find us through our handle at UnsightedPod on both Twitter and Instagram. We're also reachable by email, UnsightedPodcast at Outlook.com. Um, we have some merch on Redbubble, you know, UnsightedPod cast cast (laughs) outsided podcast we really appreciate you joining us we do we're having a oh i have an announcement 
Okay, so you asked me to do things and you have something to say. Sorry, sorry. I do have an announcement. Our podcast is 10 months old, which means if it was a baby, it would be born. (laughs) If we were making a baby instead of a podcast, it would be born now. That's sweet. Yeah. So thanks for that. And thank you for, for taking this journey with us. And we're having a great time with you and with these terrible, terrible authors. Yeah. So thank you. And we will see you in two weeks. And as always, we're excited unavailable. Ah, <laughs> oh, you guys are my friends. Okay.